Hello and welcome into Volleyball State, a podcast about volleyball from a couple of guys who sometimes know what they're talking about. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. And this is our brand new show about the sport of volleyball. So we're going to mostly focus on the college game. And within that, we're mostly going to talk about Nebraska, since that's the program that we're the most familiar with. And we know that most of our listeners, at least here at the start, uh, are going to follow closely. But we're not just going to talk about Nebraska. We're going to zoom out to the national and sometimes even the international perspective. Because Lincoln and I live in a state that loves volleyball. We saw that more than ever just this past week. And so we're going to try to talk about the sport best we know how. And we're grateful that you're going to be a part of that with us. So let's start by telling you just a little bit about who we are and why these two guys decided to do a podcast about volleyball. So, Lincoln, you're the one who's still knee-deep in the sport on a day-to-day basis. Why don't you get started? Yes, of course. Uh, I currently cover the Nebraska volleyball team for Huskers Illustrated. This is my fifth year covering the volleyball team on a full-time basis. It's the only sport I cover. Uh, For the first three years of that, I covered for the Omaha World Herald, and I also assisted last year with the Omaha World Herald coverage of the Final Four, which was up in Omaha. Um, And on top of that, I've started to uh, do a little more big picture type of articles and um, also articles about Nebraska for VolleyballMag.com, so a national publication. Um, But yeah, so I come to it uh, with a lot of interest. I've been writing about volleyball for 20 years or so. I helped out uh, when I was in law school. I wrote for the Journal Star, Lincoln Journal Star, and helped with their postseason coverage. We would always write that first weekend story about the uh, little school that could to come to the uh, Nebraska and get to experience what volleyball at a big-time institution is like. So um, I come in with a lot of interest. I enjoy the sport of volleyball. I think it's one of the most uh, exciting sports to watch. It's fast-paced. It's got lots of athleticism, power, grace. It's got it all. So I really just enjoy watching the sport of volleyball and uh, feel fortunate to live in Nebraska, a state that supports it and really puts on a high-quality product. So that's I can't who believe, Who's the other I, guy on this side? I can't believe we've been doing this for 20 years, and, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. But me, I'm Jeff Sheldon. Uh, I also covered Nebraska volleyball in the past. I covered the program for about 10 years for the Omaha World Herald and stepped away from that just a few years ago. And now I follow volleyball more from a fan's perspective. But just being around the sport the length of time that we have, I hope I'm able to talk about it from a little bit of an educated perspective, though you know we're certainly not coaches uh, I'm very much a layman, and I, but I think most of the volleyball fans who listen to this are going to be too. I don't think we're going to have a ton of coaches listen to us and, and email us corrective notes on this. Um, we're not going to try to talk like coaches because Lincoln and I know just enough to be dangerous. Uh, and there's plenty of podcasts out there that are hosted by volleyball coaches, and they talk like coaches, and they talk about the types of things that coaches want to talk about. And that's great. There's, there's totally a place for that. Um, there's also podcasts out there that focus mostly on Husker football or basketball and might talk about volleyball for the last five minutes of their show if they have time. Um, but when I started covering the sport, I, I didn't really know what I didn't know. And I spent about four years learning about the sport before I could really talk about it in a way where I felt confident about doing it. Um, and so we want to help speed up that learning curve for any of our listeners that like Husker volleyball, like national volleyball, appreciate it, but but still want to learn a little bit more. So Lincoln and I are not going to talk down to anyone, but we do want to try to level up your knowledge because that's going to try to, that's going to make you appreciate the sport even more. Um, maybe that's from a volleyball tactical sense, but again, we're not coaches. Um, really more of a historical sense to, to give you some context where the current team and the current state of the sport sits. And, and we're going to talk here in just a few minutes about uh, a historical night in the sport of volleyball. But, you know, those are some of the reasons that Lincoln and I wanted to start this show. We wanted to do this. 
create a place where we could talk about Nebraska volleyball and the larger college picture in a way that we don't think a lot of people are doing right now. And, and for us, our history on this starts, like Lincoln said, 20 years ago, goes all the way back to 2002 and that first Husker team that, that Lincoln and I covered together. Yeah, did we cover together for the Daily Nebraska? I think we were a young college sophomore trying to figure out what we were doing, what it looks like to cover a team in depth. Uh, How to do it. How to to do it. Peers and players and coaches who were way older than us and knew more things. And also, we had to find our footing on a sport where neither of us really knew that much about it. Yeah, I mean, I came from a, uh, a high school that had a fairly good program. We had a couple, I had a Division One player that was a year older than me and a couple other uh, athletes that played in college as well, too. So I, so I got to see a little bit there, but to cover it at the, at the Nebraska is a completely different level. So we got our feet wet. We dove in. We covered athletes like Gracially Sapero, uh, Laura Pilikowski, Anna Schrod. Uh, that was Jennifer Salimua's freshman year. Uh, but it was just a lot of fun watching them. That, that team was actually pretty good. I think they... They were really good. They won. They were thirty-one and two that year. What I remember, they end up losing to Hawaii uh, in the regional final at the Coliseum. And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember just kind of after the press conference were done, we were interviewing the Hawaii athletes, and we made a joke that one of them was wearing a uh, Hawaii stocking cap. Whether they got those special made to uh, come to Nebraska in the middle of December, so uh, it was a fun year and just a really good team to be around. Even though they fell short of the final four, but. Uh, that really- Hawaii, that Hawaii team had two players that that absolutely took Nebraska apart that night, and one of them was Kim Willoughby, who I'm pretty sure played on the national team, and at the time was the most dynamic, explosive female athlete I had ever seen. She was about six feet tall, and when she jumped and attacked from the back row, she basically landed at the net like she was a. We today we would call her a freak. I don't know if women athletes like to be labeled freaks, but Kim Willoughby was absolutely incredible and then they had another outside hitter named lily kahumoku who also had a great night against nebraska and and robbed us of a chance of where we gonna go was that in san diego or new orleans where the final four was that we were gonna go i remember feeling a little cheated about that yeah where the 2002 final four was it was somewhere warm that we were gonna get to go in the middle of uh december um and it didn't quite work out. So, you know, we're going to give this whole podcast thing a shot and hopefully make Volleyball State a place that you want to come back to every week. And we're grateful, of course, to Podcast House Media and our friend Jack Mitchell for giving us a shot and giving us a home to do this. And if you like what you hear, um, we hope you help us spread the word to your friends and really make this a place where where we can talk about volleyball and see if we can turn this uh, into something that lasts. So, you know, Lincoln, we were talking about uh, – the, the history of the sport, larger context of the sport. 20 years from now, I think people are going to be looking back at last Wednesday night in Lincoln, Nebraska. We get into rotation one, volleyball day in Nebraska. It was yeah. one of the most incredible sporting events that I've ever seen. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the actual match itself just a little bit in row two, because I think you have to break this into two different things. And and row one is um, basically the spectacle, the event that Nebraska and, and the other schools that were involved in this was able to put together because I have seen really the sport of vo- college volleyball level up in the last five or 10 years. It's gotten more exposure. The national championship match is going to be on uh, broadcast TV this year on ABC, but nothing that I have seen to this extent, to this point, it following the sport had put eyeballs on it in the way that playing a volleyball match in front of 90,000 people in Memorial Stadium did. Yeah, it, it was a very audacious uh, event to put on and kind of a gold. I mean, 
Nebraska has a lot of volleyball support, a lot of support, but to have the gall to say we're going to put it in Memorial Stadium, and then the Nebraska president uh, Ted Carter of the university system came out and said we're going to sell this out. I mean, those are strong words, and uh, Nebraska fans backed him up. There was some concern about what the weather was like, if that was going to turn some people away. I mean, it was a Wednesday night, mm-hmm. in, uh, late August. Is that going to prevent people from coming? Uh, but all the factors kind of came together and it turned out being a memorable night. And I think the one number, the one number, and it's very easy to remember, don't even have to look this up or write this down, but 92,003 people showed up. So that set a world record for most attended uh, women's athletic event in, in ever in, in the history. I mean, there's, I think there's some, uh, there are some world cup games or that may have been unofficial, but as far as official recorded, attendance numbers that is the mm-hmm. largest ever so we can kind of run through i'll run through briefly some of the records of that it, that it shattered uh the most the the low, lowest one of that was the uh what kind of prompted the whole game and event was wisconsin at florida florida at wisconsin last year for regular season attendance was sixteen thousand eight thirty three. so mm-hmm. largest regular season event five times over blew that away then the largest ever for a college volleyball was the uh, 2001 final between, coincidentally enough, Nebraska and Wisconsin. That was 18. The 2021 uh, final. Yep, 2000 in Columbus, Ohio. So mm-hmm. uh, two years ago, that was the most ever for a college volleyball match. So those, I think when they when they announced that, it was pretty clear those were going to go by the wayside yeah. pretty easily. But there, then came the real questionable ones, like, all right, how ambitious are we going to get? So the largest U.S. women, the largest women's event in the United States uh, was the 19, the famous 1999 World Cup final out in the Rose Bowl. That was Mm -hmm. 90,185. Got that. And then also the the other fun one, the largest ever event inside Memorial Stadium is now not a football game. It's uh, a women's volleyball game. So that was set back in 2014 when Nebraska took on Miami. That was 91585 and then like i said the uh largest women's ever uh sporting event was set in, in last last year last april in 22 uh, it, was, it was a uh, women's champions league semifinal between barcelona and wolfsburg that was 91 6 48 mm-hmm. so there's some raw numbers and just kind of uh, it, it, once they kind of came out with those little placards they hung up uh yeah oh, we broke three records okay which three i'm like are they counting mm-hmm. Which well, Dwayne Dwayne gave it away. He he said world record right away. So oh, yeah. like that's when that's when my jaw dropped. And like I'll, I'll be honest, when I first heard they were going to do this, I thought that they would get maybe forty thousand just from it being in the middle of the week. It's it's the night before Nebraska's football season opener that a lot of people were going to up in Minneapolis. Um, then I think that was maybe the initial thought from the leaders in the athletic department. And then when the tickets went on sale. Um, the phones just started ring, kept ringing and the website kept crashing. If you were one of those people that tried to get tickets on the day that they went on sale, if you weren't a season ticket holder and you didn't have early access to it, you know, it just kept going up and up and up. And, and it sort of, you know, it was one of those, be careful what you wish for things. Um, Cause the, at the campus level as someone who works on campus, like there were, had to be tons and tons of meetings and conversations all over campus from from parking to campus police to oh my gosh we've got to treat this like a game day we've got to cancel classes we've got to figure out how to put a concert stage in here and now we've got to move it from where we originally thought we were going to put it because there are too many people and now we've got to take the ceiling off of the stage and pay to ensure all the instruments so that everyone can see the match like 
a million and one factors went into this to to pull it off. And, you know, I, I've said for a long time that the sort of support system around that at Nebraska athletics and the operations people and the show they can put on has to a large extent outstripped the product on the field or the court that we have seen. And I think you and I both agree, Lincoln, that Nebraska put on an A plus show um, on, on Wednesday night from the tunnel walk, which was incredible to, you know, weaving in the the sports history in the state with bringing out these legendary high school coaches to kind of honor them during timeouts. I mean, this was, this was a, a full night celebration of the sport in the state. For sure. And it started out right off that tunnel walk. I mean, the tunnel walk was narrated by uh, Terry Pettit. So that was a really cool, I mean, Terry just has a great voice and I don't know if who wrote that, whether, I mean, he's a poet himself, so he may have written that or someone in, uh, on the marketing team may have written it, but it was just a great way to kind of look at the history. I think the, my favorite line is what Pat built, what uh, what Terry, what, what Pettit built, perfected, and Cook perfected. So it was just kind of a yeah. tribute to the three coaches in Nebraska and uh, it was cool, a nice touch. I mean, all, this whole event was about honoring volleyball in the state of Nebraska. So to have the high school coaches up there, um, a lot of I've, I've lucky enough been able to interview over the years, uh, including John Peterson at SCOTUS, who I got to cover when I worked at the Columbus Telegram for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was really, really cool. And then, but not only the school participants, people, I've, I've heard people were disappointed that why didn't Nebraska play a bigger name opponent? Well, that wasn't the point. The point was to bring in a school like University of Nebraska, Omaha, who's part of the university system, bring in UNK, bring in Wayne State, and make this a celebration of volleyball in the state. And I think it did a great job yeah. of that. And it really, and it, look at the crowds too. The crowds came from all over the state. I mean, there were high school buses filling up the uh, the, the parking lot, mm-hmm. and and just they came from. I mean, Gordon Rushville came up. Uh, uh, Ainsworth was there. Yeah, were, what did you what did you there were like 40 different schools that you could find on social media had posted that they were going to be there? Yeah, that's the reports we got from uh Lindsay Peterson, the director of Ops Survival, who also deserves a lot of credit for pulling this all off. Uh but yeah, we got about 40 different buses that were that came in from everywhere. And it's to see, you know, the the volleyball team come out for the tunnel walk and the tunnel walk was really well done, you know, you have the cameras right up in their faces as they're making the walk from the locker room to the to the field and like they have the smoke entrance this this program and the players and coaches in it are already kind of treated like rock stars within the state and this sort of took this to another level um where like it was literally like a rock band coming out on stage and the crowd went nuts and you know the players afterwards talked about how they want to bottle this and and keep this feeling and feel it a million more times in their lives like it was you know, once they got over whatever nerves they were feeling, it was clear that everyone was having an incredible time with this. Yeah. And the fun part was looking at the three faces of the three people who were leading them out. I mean, Merritt Beeson walked out. She was stone faced. She had her game face on. She was focused. She was ready to there to play volleyball. And then Cook walked out. He kind of had a smirk like this probably was his long held fantasy and his dream to be act like a football coach and get to walk, lead Nebraska out of a tunnel walk. And then you had Lexi Rodriguez, who was just smiling from ear to ear. She was just an embodiment of, of joy and happiness and just really, she was really soaking it up. So the three people leading them out, it was just, you see, got to see different perspectives of how they approach it. Yeah. Kind of them were wrong. They all did it their own way. So it was really cool to say that kind of lead Nebraska out into the court. I think Nebraska knew um, the, that they could turn this into an incredible show within the stadium, within the state. But as we we learned as the evening went on and into the next morning how much this reverberated around the country because you had 
like Magic Johnson was tweeting about this. College football reporters who probably have never been to a volleyball match unless they've got a, a sister or a daughter or a niece that plays um, were, were posting about this. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris was posting about it. And then you had um, players kind of making the rounds on national media the next day. I mean, this is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Merritt Beeson got up six thirty, had to got to do a hit on uh, Good Morning America. John Cook did an interview on Fox News, and then Cook was joined by Ali Batenhorst to talk on CNN. So, I mean, these are these are news programs that are, I mean, they're they're not just sports programs. They're focused on the news of the country to to kind of break through that and enter just kind of the the conversation, the water cooler talk of beyond that and i think that also goes to why they did it on a wednesday night that 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 was a good rationale kind of they owned the sporting world i mean they let off sports mm-hmm. center that later that night because it had they done it on the weekend yeah they could have got bigger crowds and would have been more convenient and less interference but they would have been competing against college football they would have been competing against whatever i mean there was a couple other volleyball matches being played maybe some wda mm-hmm. action and baseball but um they owned the sporting world for that night. Yeah. They, I mean, Nebraska even got requests to talk to interviews from Australia and internationally too. So yeah. the world's eyes were on what Nebraska did. I don't know how many of these national TV things were set up in advance, but I'm picturing poor Nate Poland, like just wanting to go home and go to bed after this day. And he's getting calls from like good morning America producers and CNN producers like, Hey, can we set something up for you tomorrow? Like with you, one of your players at six 30 tomorrow morning. And he's like, I just want to go to bed. Oh, can you leave me alone, please? <laughs> so he's probably Nate, happy in September now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you saw like Stephen A. Smith was talking about it too, and I don't. Stephen A. is has opinions about everything, and now he has opinions about Nebraska volleyball. So it's it was really cool to see, and just and also to realize the significance of this being a women's sport sporting event to kind of set an example that if we support these female athletes, they will put on a entertaining product and they will kind of rise to the occasion too. So it was kind of the one takeaway that I had from the national media coming in and uh, really shining a light of what Nebraska is doing with their volleyball program. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know where, what other, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, well, nobody supports their sports programs like Nebraska. Um, you know, I think Nebraska volleyball is, is very, very unique outlier in this, which is, you know, one of the reasons that we're going to spend some time talking about it to the extent that we are. But, you know, this was, I, I don't know of another place that gets, 90,000 people to watch a volleyball match. I mean, well, and not only that, Bra- Brazil people, maybe, but yeah, I don't know where else. 90,000 people who paid money for a ticket. I mean, they all bought $25 tickets. I think the students may have gotten in for free, but mm-hmm. everyone else paid $25. I mean, you've seen it with spring matches. They'll get, let people come in for free, but yeah. Well, and when they originally structured this, you thought that the concert was going to be a big draw, the post-match concert, and that's gonna that was maybe going to get five thousand extra people to come. Like you did not need, you did not need a concert for this. You could have just saved yourself the money and and gone with uh, gone with volleyball, and I think probably wouldn't have lost a single person and and still would have set the record. But um, it was incredible. You know, we got to get onto rotation two and the rest of the show. But, you know, it's going to be a long, long time, I think, before we we see a night like we did um, last Wednesday. Rotation two, let's talk a little bit about the match itself. Um, you know, this was not – and you had to expect this would happen. You're playing in an unfamiliar environment. You're playing in front of 90,000 people. Um, you're playing with the sun in your eyes, as you could see some of the – I watched part of the UNK-Wayne match um, beforehand, and some of those hitters were, like, going up to take swings, and the sun was in their eyes. But, the, you know, the actual match itself – 
Nebraska sweeps UNO. Um, Huskers still haven't dropped a set on the season, but you know, it, it was not the prettiest um, match that you're going to see played. Um, and a lot of that we think was probably, you know, the atmosphere you you've taken an indoor volleyball match and the court and the rules and you've stuck it in a very unfamiliar location. Yeah. I would say probably the biggest, yeah, I mean, the, that factor, but the wind was, it was a little bit windier than I expected. Um, I mean, the teams got to practice, uh, on Tuesday. So they got to experience, get used to the conditions a little bit, but the wind was a little bit stronger than that. And it had flipped directions. I believe it was, so it was, it was a little bit out of the North on Tuesday, but during the match on Wednesday, it was, I mean, it was, yeah. it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't a strong breeze, but it was a significant enough where it impacted a lot of the action, the kind of the ball. Cause the, like, it, I think I may have, um, the the weight of the volleyball isn't very light. It, they play beach volleyball. It's a heavier ball, so it's not mm-hmm. as. They're using an indoor ball on yeah. this outdoor match, but probably to it, make it an official NCAA match. Yeah, and the two. I think the two areas you saw that the most was one with with serving. I think there. I mean, Nebraska had uh, twelve service errors, and Omaha had eleven. So it just and also when you change end to end, you have to. I mean, you're if you're on mm-hmm. the south side, it's a very different serve than what you're doing on the north side. If you're going with or against the wind, yeah. and then also I think it just messed with the setting a little bit too. I got to talk to Bergen Riley a little bit and she said she won't miss playing outside again uh, because of that, but it, it really kind of impacted. And you got to see what Nebraska did, how they changed their offense up a little bit. They went, they didn't, they, I don't think they ran hardly any kind of back sets or slides at long developing that have a very long pass mm-hmm. uh, to the hitters. Uh, but instead, I think the most effective attack was those quick sets to the middle blocker, and Andy Jackson just feasted on that all night and mm-hmm. made a living off that. So I think the wind was a really big impact. And I mean, UNO had 25 hitting errors, which is an entire set just just on their mistakes and compared to just 18 kills. So that was not very indicative of what they're capable of, and they just struggled a bunch mm-hmm. dealing with that wind. Yeah, my seats were high enough up. I I didn't know whether what I was feeling from a wind perspective was what they were actually feeling down on the field. But I was, you know, I was looking at the flags on the goalposts on the north end zone to kind of see where it was. And then the flags up at the very top of the stadium. And it seemed like the wind, um, you know, did swirl a little bit, did change direction. Um, you know, the Huskers still set back row more than I thought that they might. Um, but you know, when you've got a player like Merritt Beeson, who sometimes looks like she's more comfortable hitting out of the back row than she is out of the front, um, that's always going to be part of your, your attack. But yeah, the, the player I came away from, um, just taking the most notice was Andy Jackson. And, you know, we're going to talk about her a little bit in row three, when we talk about the Huskers against Kansas state, but that is an impressive athlete, Andy Jackson. You know, there are times when you see her get up and it looks like her, you know, her navel is at the top of the tape and she's going to be able to hit over a ton of blocks this year. And uh, mm-hmm. Nebraska is, is already making use of her, you know, both. Um, I'd like to, I don't know if she is in a rotation where she's going to hit in front of the setter very much. But, you know, we're already seeing five matches into the year what that slide looks like with with Bergen Riley and Andy Jackson. And she put on a show on Wednesday. Yeah. And you, and you saw that. I think you saw her hit in front of the setter a lot. Uh, against UNO, just because, like I said, because of that wind, it really doing a back. I mean, as good of back setting as Bergen is, just doing that with the wind just adds that extra element that I think they they really kind of maybe tried it a few times that first set, but said no, let's go in front, let's go quick. Uh, the other person I thought was impressive was Bergen. I think uh, she had I think three kills, all all on situations where the pass was blown by the 
win put her close to the net and then just gave her an easy chance to uh, dunk the ball over. So I thought she did a really well job, uh, a good, good job of handling kind of the elements too. Um, but yeah, we saw, I think, 12 of the 14 Nebraska players play. The only ones we didn't were Kennedy Orr and uh, Caroline Juravicious. So everyone got, almost everyone got a chance to, uh, ch- chance to see yeah. the, see the, see the court. And I don't know if, you know, if any of the players who haven't played yet this season, if, if there have been conversations about red shirts or anything, but I think that Nebraska did get almost, yeah, like you said, almost everyone got in the match and you love to see that too. Cause I know it was a point that um, Wayne state and UNK made too. They were only, they only played three sets and the third set only went to 15, but they made sure that and theirs was an exhibition, but they made sure that every player got in that match so that they could go back to their families and carry that memory with them for the rest of their lives um, Huskers get almost everyone in, you know, uh, it wasn't the cleanest match that Nebraska and UNO played. And I'm always going to be someone who kind of side eyes Nebraska's hitting percentage, uh, because I would usually like to see it a little bit higher. They hit 263 against UNO, which, you know, not bad, only eight errors in three sets from a match that you were playing in the sun and the wind with all the nerves. Um, so Huskers moved to four and O, uh, against UNO. Um, they went to move to five and O yesterday as we move into row three and against uh, a Kansas state team that actually really impressed me, Lincoln. And for as much as we talked about volleyball day in Nebraska, uh, the match that Nebraska played, and we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, um, played on Sunday against Kansas state, I thought was their best showing of the year. Yes, for sure. Uh, and I think you especially saw that first set. I mean, Kansas state came out, they were throwing punches, uh, and there was a also I think it was, a, it was the second match in that uh, new arena they have down there that seats just over three thousand people. So everyone was fired up. This was advertised as sold out. People were lined up. Uh, it's also a weird quirk of the, the arena. It's all general admission seating. So mm. fans it's first come first serve everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. I mean, there there is kind of a student section set aside, but everywhere is there. Everything else is general admission. So. Uh, gates opened at three o'clock an hour be- hour before the first serve and uh, the line was three four I mean it extended all the way out from the front door to the arena out to the main road off the uh off of the off the uh west there so it halfway to Aggieville yeah but uh Kansas State really played well I mean they were they came out uh, and really kind of handled what Nebraska was giving them and really were aggressive at the pins so uh, but Nebraska really played well I mean they had uh they they had a few errors there early on, but they had four hitting errors. But Merritt Beeson was kind of the show of the uh, of the first set. She had eight kills, I think on thirteen. I think it was thirteen attack, mm-hmm. no errors. So she really stepped up, kind of carried Nebraska. And like you said before, she was hitting out of the the back row from the right pin, from the left pin. So she really kind of showed her offensive versatility and carried Nebraska early on against K State. Yeah, Beeson had eight kills in game one, only two over the rest uh over games two and three but that's where it got picked up uh once again we go back to the freshman middle blocker andy jackson who really ended the match uh on a strong run uh, some exclamation points including on match point um nebraska had a really balanced offense in this one i think they had maybe two players with 10 kills two more with nine andy jackson the number that jumps off the screen to you is she hit 750 um against uh k-state with uh, i think she finished with 10 kills she was one with either nine or ten yeah, yeah. Sorry, 10 I'm not kills on the, 12 swings so the was... box score right in front of me yeah 
10 kills. And so that means she had it. She aired too. If, if she had 10 kills on 12 swings, that means she had an one error in there as well to hit 750. Um, she's leading Nebraska in hitting percentage this year, a really impressive athlete. The other number that jumps out to me for the Huskers, um, 12 blocks in three sets. So Nebraska's defense has really been the one constant early in the season. Huskers through their first five matches have not allowed an opposing opposing team to hit better than I think 091. Nobody has broken 100 against Nebraska uh, this year. So I'm not looking at the Big 12 or excuse me the Big 10 um, stats, but I have to think Nebraska is leading the Big 10. You know, for as much as it means through two weekends in opponent hitting percentage, and they're always going to be up there really high in that. But um, the Huskers took over that match defensively and held Kansas State uh, once again below 100. Yeah. I'll give you Nebraska not just leading the Big Ten. They're leading the nation at 037. I think the next next closest is the fighting Brown and uh, in, in the Ivy League is 070 for opponent hitting percentage. Andy Jackson is third in the nation uh, for hitting percentage. And I think Becca Alec is actually leading the nation in blocking. Really? So uh, Nebraska, I mean, they, the only issue is Nebraska really hasn't played. I mean, Kansas State was a good test, but they'll find out a little bit uh, as non-con goes on of what, what mm-hmm. they're capable of. Um, but to go back to Andy Jackson, one other point on her, I think her offense was impressive, but the thing that got her going and got Nebraska going is in the first set, she had three straight plays where she roofed a uh, Kansas State player, and that kind of really – broke the first game up a little bit and gave Nebraska a little bit of momentum. So she's, mm-hmm. I think that's where she was most raw coming in was her defense because uh, she wasn't f- really kind of schooled on the fine, fine techniques of blocking, but she's mm-hmm. catching up. And plus her athleticism can make up for a lot. She can mm-hmm. get to the ball quick and make wait, wait just that half second longer to read where the setter's going and then get there and, and also get up on the block. So. Yeah, Nebraska's defense, this is what the scary thing is if you're, you know, another Big Ten conference opponent. Um, Nebraska's defense is really good now. It has a lot of room to grow. I think um, Andy Jackson can get better at blocking. Um, Another thing that I came away with watching, and this is, you know, kind of just your one critique of Bergen Riley to this point. um, She's not an aces back row defender yet. Uh, She had some balls go off for her. Um, through her that I think we're used to seeing a player like Nicklin Hames really handle the last couple of years. But, you know, Nicklin, maybe the strongest part of her game was back row defense. And so that's just an area where you don't expect to have maybe two straight setters who are incredible back row defenders. Bergen Rowley's played five college matches. She's going to get better um, at that. Um, and other than that, the, the Husker defense has been really good. Um, I think Nebraska's serving could get a little bit stronger too, which is going to help out the defense. Um, they put Kansas State out of system, you know, a fair amount last night. I, I thought that Kansas State was maybe the more aggressive serving team as I just watched the match on TV yesterday. That was one of the areas that the Wildcats really impressed me. Um, they were really getting after it from the serving line, putting a lot of pressure on Nebraska. I think teams right now are putting a lot of um, heat on um, – um, oh, Forgive me, the uh, they're not Merritt Beeson. They're they're serving Nebraska's freshman Harper Murray outside hitter Harper Murray. Yeah, teams are yes. going to pick on her. <laughs> I I haven't covered her for six straight months yet, and her name sometimes just slips off uh, my brain. And yeah, and it makes sense that, why but... teams would want to do that because I mean you're going to serve at Harper Murray, Laney Choboy, or Lexi Rodriguez. You're going to pick yeah. Harper Murray every single one of those times. So I think she she expects that, and I think there's a couple times where there's miscommunication. So I think there's some serve receive Mm -hmm. does have some have some room to go she gets more comfortable and works on her passing you know what i didn't know about kansas state until i read a little bit about it after the match um is is just how experienced they were k-state's a team full of like 
fourth and fifth year seniors. They've got some transfers like that. That is a really experienced team. And so early in the season, you're going to see that um, a team like that really stand out. And I'll be interested to see how they take that into into Big 12 play this year when they're going to they're going to face off teams against you know Iowa State and Texas. But that's that's a team that's going to jump up and bite some people this year. That yeah, I really thought their is, setter was very good too. Yeah. So Jason Mansfield, this is his first year at Kansas State and his uh, first ever head coaching job, and he brought in that transfer Izzy Izzy S. I'll, we'll just call her. She's a transfer from Oregon State. She is five seven, but with it's plain, a hard name to say, isn't it? Yeah. It's and it's I don't have my Polish pronunciation. Who's in there? Golzuwiki or something like that. Sorry, <laughs> I apologize. We apologize. Why I'm a writer for the most part. Uh, but the one thing I took away is like there were a couple times where I, I swear they were running a six-two with she stayed in there and played right side and took a couple big swings and she I think she also had a block. Yeah, she had a, a block assist where at five foot seven to get up there and kind of handle mm-hmm. that. It shows the athleticism she has at setter. So she was, I was really, really impressed with her and she could make some noise as the big 12 season goes on. And that team kind of figures out. They also had, like I said, uh, Liz Gregorski from a transfer from Wisconsin came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't play much at Wisconsin because she was behind some really good players, but now she's getting a chance to show what she can do. And uh, Aaliyah Carter looked pretty good. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think the Nebraska defense forced a few more airs as the match went on, but uh, they were swinging away with, no regard kind of early on and really were aggressive. It'll be fun to follow K-State the rest of the year. Um, former Husker setter great. Uh, you know her as Fiona Nepo. Fiona Fonoti is an assistant coach uh, for the Wildcats. She's been a part of a number of college programs. And you always want to see uh, former Huskers succeed when they're when they're in the coaching ranks. And so we'll be keeping, you know, half an eye on K-State as they go through Big 12 play. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I will say. Yeah, go ahead. The other th- last thing that I had is uh, that was the best match I think we saw from Lindsey Krause. Uh, oh yeah. Um, she, we, she kind of the first couple weekends when she struggled, she goes to that power shot a lot too. We saw a little bit more tips, a little bit more roll shots and some finesse, but she still can unload the cannon yeah. when she needs to. So, uh, she was, she finished with that yeah, nine, nine kills on 21 swings. So, uh, that was really her. I think she took a step forward, mm-hmm. her best match of the year by far. So she's starting to go high hands a little bit more and, and, and tool the blockers, which, you know, you like to see. She took some brave out of system swings. The one thing I'm really still waiting to see from Lindsey Krause is her to develop that shot down the line. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, not just hit, try to hit deep cross or tool every time, but, you know, I think teams are going to cheat inside on her and try to, and leave her line. And it's got to be up to her to, to make, the other team to punish them for that decision. Yeah. So that's kind of one thing I'm really waiting to see emerge from, from her shot repertoire. Yeah. Um, she did no, have one. I think her first error was a tip shot. She tried to find that back corner on a tip and it went just wide too. Yeah. But to get it on a swing would really up, up her game and, and uh, put her to the next level. It was a fun weekend for college volleyball uh, around the country. Some big name non-conference matchups were happening. We uh, row four is our look around the country today. Um, you know, the team that really stuck out to me uh, this week, obviously, uh, is Florida. Florida came away, uh, swept Stanford at Stanford, and then swept Minnesota at home. And fre- Florida has themselves a freshman opposite named Kennedy Martin, who, you know, if you were going to give the award after two weekends of play, I think she is your national freshman of the year. She had 15 kills in their sweep of Minnesota uh, on Sunday. She's averaging five kills a set incredibly impressive and then hey you know i know stanford was missing uh katie baird 
Um, and, and she was back for Stanford's win over Texas on Sunday as well. But like, not just anyone rolls into Stanford and, and beats the Cardinal in Maples. Yeah, they're, they're a very young team. They have another freshman outside hitter, Kiara Hudson, who's also really stepped up. I mean, Kennedy Martin, she's six foot five. She can hit. She may have flown a little bit under recruiting radar because I think she had went to four different high schools all four years, but has been really impressive so far. Uh, like you said, and they're led by a uh, sophomore setter, Alexis Stuckey, who's from Wyoming, uh, is really leading their charge, leading a great uh, offense out there. I think they're hitting, yeah, they're hitting 291 for the season. So they, they, so they already, I mean, it's the second week of the year. They already have three top 10 wins. They beat Penn State the first weekend, and like we said, mm-hmm. a Stanford and Minnesota in week week two. So, uh, yep. and they, they were rewarded too. They moved up to number three in the uh, ABCA poll that was released today. So they're no longer going to be flying under the radar. They made some noise and uh, they're going to get everyone's attention moving forward. The other team, you know, who bounced back from losing to to Florida uh, earlier in the week, Stanford went into Austin and swept Texas um, in Gregory Gym. You know, Carton, sometimes Stanford can make offense look so easy with the kind of hitters they have. And, and there are times where I feel like I watch Nebraska and they need everything to go right to, to reach that 300 mark. And Stanford ho-hums into Gregory Gym and hits 396 and sweeps Texas. I mean, Katie Baird and Kendall Kipp, um, Sammy Francis, all of these players Nebraska is going to become very familiar with um, in another week and a half when, when Nebraska plays Stanford. But that was an incredibly impressive win to bounce back from getting swept by Florida for Stanford to go on the road and, and sweep the defending national champion, Texas, who admittedly looks like they've taken a step back in the early part of this year. Um, that was that was really incredible. Yeah, Stanford only had I think seven. They only had seven hitting errors the entire match, and six of those were on Texas block. So they only had one unforced hitting error. They're putting the ball in. They got some big hitters too. The size they have on their front row is just really impressive. Kendall Kipp, fifteen kills. Katie Barrett, like, came back and had uh, twelve kills on twenty-four swings. So they just have firepower all over the court. Um, and and size as well too. That's going to create a lot of matchup problems. Over games two and three in that match in Austin, Stanford hit four seventy seven, four seventy seven over games two and three to complete the sweep of Texas. So, um, Kevin Hamley's got himself a crew out there um, this year in the last year of the Pac twelve. Um, there's some other, you know, it feels like all these teams are talking about played each other. Texas beat Minnesota in four and the, the team at the top of the big 10, at least at the start of the year, you know, had to sweat it out a couple of times, Lincoln, uh, Wisconsin, a couple of five set nail biters. Yeah, they went down. They played two matches down in Arkansas in Fayetteville. Uh, first one, they pushed to five. Arkansas runs a very fast offense. And I don't know if their speed just caught Wisconsin off guard, but uh, they pushed Wisconsin to the limit. Now, uh, I watched the last few points. I think I got back to the post game. I was on Wednesday night as well, too. So I got back to the uh, back to my working station and saw the last few points. And it was uh, it was like it's fifteen thirteen was it was a deuce game, whatever it was uh, in that fifth set. And Wisconsin made them work. And then uh, on Sunday, they played Tennessee, and won the first two sets pretty handily. But Tennessee came back took sets three and four, and then again, pushed Texas all the way to the limit on, uh, on, on to, uh, on, on the, in that fifth game too. So I think they're, the problem is, I don't know if it's a problem, but they're trying to figure out what the right combination is. Uh, Julia Orzel started Sunday's match at libero. Then she switched to outside hitter played back row. I think for Temi Thomas Alara, 
Uh, they mm-hmm. went back to their, their libero from last year. Gigi played, started the last two sets at the position too. So they're, I don't know. It's early season. They're playing some tough competition, and figure, yeah. but they're just trying to figure out what the right combination is of passing and defense and attackers right now. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin has the attacking talent to, I think, experiment a little bit, um, have some nail biters, but not get punished for it because Sarah Franklin and Temi Thomas Alara and Devin Robinson, um, that's as good of a trio of pin hitters as anyone in the Big Ten has right now. Um, and we got highlighted here Pitt, uh, Pitt uh, took down Kentucky over the weekend. Uh, two times is that yeah. right? Like, yeah, they, they played. They, they did a they did a nice home and home series too. I think they uh, Pitt swept Kentucky in the first meeting, and then on the return match and took them down in four. So um, I don't know if that had, that that has a uh, just a bunch of cats fighting around, but uh, we'll see <laughs> Kentucky in a couple of weeks here too. But it's a good good couple wins for uh, Pitt earlier in the of the year. And then the the team we we touched on just a little bit uh, last week, Georgia Tech. Um, beat Ohio State twice. Uh, Georgia Tech was picked, I think, fourth in the ACC preseason poll. Um, they they beat Ohio State twice. Georgia Tech's got some impressive wins this year. And I, what are they? Are they top fifteen yet? Um, yes. In the in the poll that oh, just came out today. Did you have that up? I just, I had it up a second ago. I think they're twelfth now, something like that. They're eleventh. They stayed eleventh in that in today's poll. So they didn't they did not move after beating Ohio State. Uh, and Ohio State fell down three spots. There was 11 versus 12, and uh, Ohio State mm-hmm. fell down to 15th. So we're going to need to keep our eye on Georgia Tech. You know, they've, they've got a tough ACC to play in with Louisville and Pitt. Um, but, you know, I think they can find themselves right up there, and they've had a really impressive um, start to the season. Lincoln, is there anything else you wanted to touch on in the national level before we move on to Rotation 5? No, I think, yeah, it was, we've seen a lot of, that's the wonderful thing about early season volleyball is a lot of these teams aren't afraid to schedule other top teams, go on the road, uh, test themselves. Uh, the one big thing uh, is Texas State picked up a uh, their first ever win. They probably had the best Saturday out of ever, anyone. They uh, won, uh, I believe they beat Hugh, number 13 Houston on their home court. That's down right. Marcos, uh, first ever win against a rated opponent. And then the next day, or no, sorry, later that night, their football team goes out and beats Baylor. So a uh, little little shout out to those uh, Texas State Bobcats. Uh, I've driven through San Marcos a few times, never stopped to go to the school, but big day for them in the volleyball and sporting world for them. And Hawaii's back in the top 25, I saw today. They beat USC um, this past weekend. It just feels like college volleyball is in a better, stronger spot when Hawaii's good. And the, the Wahine have, have kind of had their ups and downs over the last couple of years, but that's a strong start to the year um, from them. They've got a passionate uh, fan base that follows volleyball. Almost every one of their matches is on local television out there on the islands. And so I'm uh, I'm pulling for the Wahine to have a solid year. Yes. Um, you get, 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 get that stocking caps at some point. So <laughs> yeah, I'll see if Robin Amo Santos wants to, wants to shoot me one. Actually, you know who could probably get us one is Jalen. Jalen Reyes knows everyone in Hawaii, being He's from Hawaii. the islands, and he can uh, he can maybe scrounge us up some. Yeah. Um, rotation five, international volleyball. This was this was a rough day for the United States yesterday. Lincoln, I I know you you cook on this a little bit more than I do with a, with your eye on international volleyball. But the Team USA loses the Norseka Championship match in five to the Dominican Republic. And what happened there? How did we lose this? I, I was able to watch a little bit. I saw the first couple of set results, but it was also kind of the same time as Nebraska was playing Kansas State. So I w- watched it via the stats a little bit. But from what I read, the uh, Dominican Republic 
uh, changed up their lineup. Who I, I should also say that the United States swept the Dominican Republic in pool play, so it was the rematch for the championship. Uh, but the Dominican Republic switched up their lineups a little bit, and I think the United States was also figuring out their right combinations as well too. And they came back and uh, won won the match in five sets too. I mean, it was a little bit disappointing. Dominican Republic's now won this I think three times in a row. Um, so. But I don't think it's the end of the world. I think the United States got what they needed to out of it. Um, this was the first tournament back for Jordan Larson. So she played at a couple of the uh, of the of the tournaments in one of the pool play matches. And she didn't play in all of the matches. I think she's still trying to get her legs underneath her and get back into game shape and really gear up mm-hmm. with an eye towards the Olympic qualifiers uh, later this month. So, um, so this I, tournament would not have qualified them for the Olympics if they had won it. No. Correct. No, it was, it was just for more, I think, federation and international points, yeah. uh, which may help with the seeding world and, and qualifiers. So, um, but it, it just, again, to get that, the first team kind of together um, and just really, th- this team has really become Jordan Thompson's team. She was a standout at Cincinnati mm-hmm. a few years. I think she had 50 kills. I remember seeing in one. Yeah. They set her like every other ball. Yeah. She took 60% of their swings. at but Cincinnati. It wasn't just because she was, the only player she's elite level. So she's really kind of taken over to the offense of this team and really shown out. So it will be fun to watch them, uh, watch her kind of see what she can do as the uh, stakes raise for the qualifiers later in September. If you're not familiar with North Sika, it's, it's basically like the CONCACAF of volleyball. If you're, if you're into soccer, it's North and Central America and the Caribbean. So this isn't, um, you know, Brazil, Argentina are not in this tournament. It's, um, it's the U.S., Cuba, Dominican Republic, Canada, Mexico. Um, it's it's the CONCACAF of volleyball. But the big uh, tournament's coming up here in a couple weeks with uh, the Olympic qualifying tournament, which the, the U.S. needs to perform well in if they're going to get a chance to go to uh, 2024 and and defend their gold medal. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some questionable level of play. I think the United States played uh, Costa Rica in the mm-hmm. pool play, and they gave up a total of 21 points yeah. three sets so it's eh, there's, there's some teams that are there and there but the cuba's usually pretty decent uh, mexico is the other team that kind of uh battled the united states uh they also made the quarterfinals i should say so um but yeah so Look, that's world that's the world news there what the u.s is still looking for and, and we could spend a lot of time i think talking about uh team usa and and if this p- podcast has legs maybe we'll spend a, more time on it in a future episode but what the U.S. is missing right now is is a is an elite level pin hitter, and maybe Jordan Thompson is that. But at your outside hitter position, you know, um, right now it looks like it's Jordan Larson and and it's Kelsey Robinson. Um, Kalia Lanier didn't come and play in this tournament. Simone Lee didn't play in this tournament. Who were two former college studs at USC and Penn State, respectively. Um, you look around at who the best teams in the world are. You know, it, the U.S. does not have a Boscovich like Serbia has. They don't have a Juting like China had. Um, they don't have a six foot seven Iganu like uh, Italy has. Like, they are missing that um, bailout pin hitter where every team knows that that's where the ball is going to, and yet it cannot be stopped. And the U.S. tries to make up for that with speed and versatility. I think Jordan Poulter, who had been starting for the U.S., was not in this tournament. Uh, former Illinois great setter, who was the setter on Illinois' final four, final four team a couple years ago. Yeah. I think she was hurt. Yeah, um, so I'm not Kalini sure who was Hancock even for the two setters. Yeah, okay. Kalini and Hancock. So, I mean, you, you can do worse than having Lauren Carlini, who I watched you know, take apart college volleyball for four years at Wisconsin. Um, but it seems like Jordan Poulter is that um, A-team setter for the U.S. right now. 
and and she did not play in this tournament. So Karch has got some stuff to figure out. They need to figure out who that setter is going to be, and really who who are your Olympic uh, in 2024? Who is your outside hitter is going to be? You know, because as great as Jordan Larson is, she is at the tail end of her career. She's in her late 30s now, and is she going to go swing for swing with Tiana Boscovich? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of the international scene. Uh, I will throw two in kind of Nebraska recruiting notes in this non-college survival section. Uh, one, uh, Kerry Leinbach, who's a 2025 Nebraska recruit, is currently a junior at Lincoln Lutheran. She recorded her 1,000th career dig over the weekend. So to get that early in her third year of high school play is quite the accomplishment. She could be on 2,000 dig watch, uh, depending on how I mean, Lincoln Lutheran will probably always be playing to the last match of the year. So uh, quite an accomplishment for her. And the other note is, I will say, who we thought that Nebraska got all their commits over the summer for the 2025 class, but uh, showing up at the Volleyball Day in Nebraska was Taylor Harvey, who is a middle blocker from Utah. Uh, she is either ranked number seven, according to volleyballprep.com, or number 11, according to Prep Dig, whatever your preferred ranking service is. So she's an elite level recruit. Um, scholarship numbers, Nebraska will figure it out. I think that with NIL stuff, um, I think well, and, uh, she's one of those takes. If if she's interested and she wants to come, you take and figure out the math later. So Taylor Harvey is a middle blocker from Utah. What is she? Six, six, three, six, five. You know, usually your, your kids that big are, are pretty big, but you know, an elite level recruit, um, you know, as far as scholarship numbers, uh, I feel like play with the transfer portal too. players go in and out. Um, Wisconsin hasn't had a problem finding spots for all of the players they want. Neither has Texas, neither has Penn state. Like these things sort of have a way of working out. If, if you really want a player, um, there will be, there will be room for them somehow, some way. And I think that is just the, the norm in college sports right now with, with NIL, with transfer portal. Um, these rosters are very, very fluid, and you don't have to necessarily wait for someone to leave before um, you bring in another addition. Like it yeah. will, it will all get settled by the time preseason practice starts, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah. And she has some, some connections as a Nebraska player. She played on the U 21 team that, at the world championships down in Mexico with Campbell Flynn uh, and also Skylar Pierce as well too. And who Skylar Pierce was also at the uh, volleyball day in Nebraska. So uh, she's an outside hitter. Is that right? Yes, outside, outside hitter, hitter from the, Greater Kansas City. I think she plays to Olathe Northwest is where she goes to high school. So, um, yeah, so there are, in fact, all of Nebraska's 2024 recruits were at uh, Volleyball Day in Nebraska, too. Plus, uh, like I said, Linebach and, and uh, Harvey from 25s were there as well, too. So you, she's going to take some other visits elsewhere. So it's not a done deal to Nebraska, but to get a visit, an unofficial visit from her is a good sign of the, where things are working mm-hmm. right now. And, and what a recruiting night, you know, if you needed another recruiting tool for the Nebraska volleyball program, you, you could have done a lot worse from volleyball day in Nebraska because nobody else could create an experience like that. And honestly, you could put together a really good college team every year from recruits from the Kansas City area. That, that, that area has exploded. Stanford got a few recruits over the last couple of years out of there. Nebraska's always got their eye on Kansas City. Creighton has an outstanding player, uh, outside hitter from, from Kansas City as well. And that moves us into rotation six, where we're going to preview the week ahead for Nebraska volleyball. It starts with the big in-state rivalry uh, on Wednesday night. Creighton comes to the Devaney Center. 
Um, Creighton's five and one. They they had a a really tough victory over Northern Iowa, former Missouri Valley opponent Northern Iowa, on Sunday where they had a couple of deuce games. Creighton ended up winning in four. But um, you know, besides Norris, who's an outstanding player um, from in-state in Nebraska, Creighton's other outside hitter Ava Martin uh, is from Kansas City, and she's having an outstanding start to the year, averaging almost uh, five kills a set. I think it's like four point six kills a set. Ava Martin is um, Creighton's off to a five and one start and their one loss, I believe is in five sets. They won the blue Jay invitational this past weekend, and they are going to be the best team that Nebraska has seen so far. Yeah. Yeah. They, that first weekend they go, went to Purdue and kind of, they beat Purdue quite. They slept Purdue. Yeah. Beat Purdue handily. looked good doing it. And then lost in five sets to Duke. So I think what Creighton learned that first weekend was they, they struggled to really close out sets uh, and figure just how to, get those last few points in crunch time and had a couple of set points that were match points against Duke that would have ended it and couldn't get the job done. And made or the Duke made him pay the price for it. So they are really good. Kendra Wade is back running the show. She's a high quality setter. Uh, and this is actually going to be the first time that Creighton has visited uh, Lincoln to play a match since 2019. Uh, the, so they played in 2019, 2020 was the COVID year. They played in the, sp- the following spring. So mm-hmm. Nebraska only played big 10 schedule. So did not play Creighton there. And then in 21, uh, they've continued this rotation. So they played up in Omaha and last year in 22 uh, with the final four in Omaha, Nebraska flip-flopped that because they wanted to get an experience playing the uh, CHI health center. Uh, and so they switched the rotation there and, uh, to get a match up in Omaha. So it's the first time in four years that Creighton's been down to the Devaney Center. So first time for all anybody, almost everyone on the roster as well. Yeah, and Creighton always brings their A game when they play Nebraska. I mean, the, that coaching staff in Omaha uh, is excellent. Kirsten Bernthal-Booth and her staff always have the Blue Jays up to play Nebraska. And then you've got, you know, a lot of these players have played against each other or played with each other on club teams. You know, you've got... Lindsey Krause and Norris Sis, who went swing for swing last year, they're going to be back on opposite sides of the net this year. Um, I, I think Kendra Waits a very good setter for Creighton, and they're just tough. Like they serve tough. They've got very good de- uh, floor defense. Um, they're a couple of points away from being undefeated this year, and this is going to be a fun match Wednesday night, seven o'clock at the Devaney Center. Um, the latest chapter of Nebraska against Creighton, and then the Huskers will also play Long Beach, who has got a huge feather in their cap um, from earlier in the season. Is that, I'm sorry, Lincoln, is that match on Saturday or Sunday? Nebraska and Long Beach State. Saturday night. So Long Long Beach is two and three on the year, but one of those victories they had was over uh, defending national champion Texas in the season opener um, two weekends ago. And it's not like, you know, Long Beach has been dropping matches to inferior competition. Uh, They lost to Washington and UCLA. So there are three losses this year, I think, are are Washington, UCLA, and then maybe Loyola Marymount, I think. Yeah, there's a weird, they bounced back after being Texas, then they lost in three sets to Loyola Marymount. Very odd opening weekend for them. But their other win on the season is against Big Ten team Indiana, who um, is no slouch, uh, coached by Steve Aird. So, you know, Long Beach State has played nothing but great competition so far this year, even though uh, the record, you know, isn't that strong. Long Beach State coached by uh, former Husker assistant Tyler Hildebrand, who I think Lincoln and I both got to know a little bit and and think very highly of. He's breathed some life, some energy into that program. This is his second year there, and um, the the fans are going to get up for that one because they always get up um, in the Devaney Center for when when the former Husker assistants or former Husker players who are now coaches come back. You know, if if you were uh, if you wore the N at one time, they're going to give you that standing O. And then um, this is a tough week for Nebraska, and it's the the coming up. They have to be sharp this week because they. They've got Stanford um, 
the following week and then Big Ten starts. So easy well, street is closed. Yeah. So right, the, Kentucky's sandwiched in there as well, too. But the next seven days, seven days, I mean, Nebraska plays Creighton on Wednesday, Long Beach on Saturday, and then at Stanford on Tuesday. So it's going to be a very, very trying seven days. And hopefully Nebraska built in enough kind of learning curve in their first two weekends to really figure out what they what they needed to with the lineup and combinations and, and just a new offense with a new setter to figure out to ready to take on some higher caliber competition. So they'll they'll get some good tests here in the next few weeks. Lincoln, what's like maybe one or two things you would like to see Nebraska clean up and do a little bit better if going into this week, if if they're going to end up taking down Creighton and Long Beach? Because I've got a couple, but I want to I want to hear what your thoughts are on um, just some things you've seen over the first couple of weekends that, that you know they're going to need to clean up. I think it's just it's not always going to the power shot. I think that's too often Nebraska, their outside hitters have relied a little bit on that too much. We're seeing a little bit of progress on that, but making sure that they're have some they're, they're taking what the defense is giving them if it's a one-on-one swing away fire away and uh go with that cross court uh power shot but if it, they got two blockers up there and the, it's a little bit tight uh make a living off the tool and hit off the block to, to your advantage too so i think that's one thing nebraska really can uh focus on is uh diversifying their offensive shots especially from the left pin mm-hmm. um, so I think that that's the one thing. And then I think, too, is finding a way to get both middle blockers uh, involved. We've seen, we talked a lot about Andy Jackson, but uh, Becca Alec really has struggled the last couple matches to get off uh, and find a rhythm. So I think connecting with the middle blockers and making them a dangerous part, which in turn will help with their outside hitters. So those are kind of the two. I mean, very offensively centric thoughts that I have to keep an eye on. I mean, that's one thing to keep an eye on. Nebraska's only in their first five matches, they've only hit better than 300 one time, and that was against Lipscomb. So this team still has a little bit of a way to go offensively. I'd like to see Nebraska uh, serve a little bit tougher. I think they're going to have to do that against Creighton and get Creighton out of system because Creighton has the hitters to make you pay if if you let them be in system um more often than not and then um you know i'd like uh, harper murray had a had really great opening weekend and good on volleyball day uh in nebraska against uno um took a little bit of a step down i'd say against kansas state i, I want to see her swing brave uh, especially out of system i want to see what she's able to do there because i think she's going to have to clean up a lot of stuff if these Nebraska crate matches seem like they always have a lot of long rallies, um, teams trying to score out of system, teams trying to score in transition, and um, I just want to see her reestablish herself before um, you go play Kentucky and Stanford the next week. And I know that's a ton to ask of a freshman, um, but I think you know Nebraska is going to need her to to play like not a freshman um, as this season goes along. And no uh, no better opportunity like this coming week where you got Creighton and Long Beach State coming up. Well, great. Well, I think that about wraps up our show for today. So thank you for listening on. Uh, if you want to interact with us more, we do have a Twitter or X handle, if you will, at volleyball. I'm calling it Twitter. I'm not calling it X. I'm not All doing right. it. It's a Twitter. It's a Twitter <laughs> handle at volleyball pod. Uh, follow us along. We'll start tweeting out from that as well, too. And if you want to reach out, give us your thoughts, feedbacks, ideas, concerns, questions, uh, questions. critique our appearance critique our appearance from our Twitter profile pictures, whatever you can reach us at volleyballstate <laughs> at gmail.com. That's right. Twitter is at volleyball pod. That's volleyball P O D. Um, the email address, reach out to the show volleyball state G- at uh, gmail.com. 
Um, and we hope to be back next week and, and keep this going. Um, until next time, I'm Jeff. He's Lincoln. Thank you all so much. Take care.